0: This is the Carolina Recycling Podcast, where we look at upstream and downstream solutions to tackle waste reduction challenges. Plastic packaging is lightweight and can conserve energy in production and transportation. Recycled plastic cuts energy consumption up to 90% an important step as both manufacturers and consumers attempt to limit their greenhouse gas emissions. However, plastic has become so prevalent in the world's economy that we are finding alarming amounts of it in our oceans. On one hand, plastic provides a sustainable benefit as a low energy packaging material. Yet on the other hand, it continues to slip out of the existing waste and recycling streams and into our environment. More Recycling is a research and consulting company that has done well-documented work studying plastics and their role in the circular economy. This past summer, Nina Butler, the CEO of More Recycling, was invited to provide testimony about plastics recovery before the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works. Nina presented solutions to the Senate in which our society changes the status quo and puts a value on post-consumer plastic as a means to ensure less pollution enters our waterways. I had a virtual chat with Nina to hear more of her insights what she dubs the plastic paradox. Here's our conversation. First things first, how was the Senate?
1: Um, you know, actually, I went back and, and watched the recording afterwards, and I got even more nervous. Like it was sort of strange to see myself there, but what I, I had a moment of realization that if I don't speak up, it's difficult for staff and senators to have the level of detail, particularly such a complex topic like plastics and climate change, um, that I I really kind of got in my groove towards the end of it. Terrifying, but more terrifying to not actually say something or share the knowledge that our company, that my company gathers.
0: Right. And and why would it be more terrifying to not say anything?
1: Because the the risk, the threat that we're facing right now of the dueling problem of climate change and plastic waste and waste at large it's not just plastic you know it really it's the waste that we're um losing right now in terms of organics and fiber in our landfills that are you know off gassing and contributing to climate change is just it's mind-boggling so it's not taking action in the um, as swiftly as we need to right now, and every day that we don't take action is essentially we're compounding the problem. So, when I spoke at the Global Plastic Summit, I was just reminding the audience there that you know a lot of the solutions that are being explored right now are well in ten years we're going to have this great advanced recycling, chemical recycling that's going to fix all the problems. And I you know had to remind the audience. Every single minute, we're dumping a truckload, a dumpster truckload of plastic in our oceans essentially, every minute. And there's a lot of minutes in 10 years.
0: We hear these statistics that by year 2050, there will be more plastic in our oceans than fish. Yet at the same time, plastic packaging is lightweight and, when recycled, actually has lower greenhouse gas emissions compared to other packaging. Can you explain this plastic paradox and explain what you mean when you say plastics are a supernatural material?
1: Yeah, so um, the concept, the plastic paradox, really came into my head in 2018 when I was sitting in this big audience at the World Petrochemical Conference. And it was at the time when um, we're really seeing the... The, sh- the sheer impact of the shale gas revolution you know a lot of the companies were p- basically celebrating that we're going to have you know we're going to pump like there's no tomorrow um, and the concern at the time there's a lot less focus on sustainability at the world petrochem conference in 2018 than, than there was in 2019 and 2020 but the, the question of the day was, What will the impact of electric vehicles and the continued use of plastic have on the primary product, which is oil and gas? So there's a drawdown in oil and gas as we shift to using more plastics compared to the heavier alternatives. And because there is a drawdown due to um, an increase of electric vehicles and moving towards Green energy, then there's a need to invest in new capacity to do something with all of the oil and gas that we're extracting. So there's both the need to um, build the pipeline and the ability to export oil and gas, as well as the the products that we make with oil and gas. And that's, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, my gosh, either way we go right now, we're either looking at just a, a massive expansion in the production of plastic and if we don't switch to plastics without changing our consumption patterns, we're gonna to continue to increase greenhouse gas emissions. And that, that's essentially the plastic paradox. So the supernatural piece of it that's come to me is that you know if we're making something that we're, we're learning nature really can't handle, it's not a natural material, it, it's all the more incumbent on us as a society to, to manage this material and we're, we're not right now. And we don't even know that the magnitude of um, what microplastic is, is doing in our environment. But it's really, it's supernatural. It's more of um, superhuman, I would say, in addition to the plastic paradox, because that essentially says, well, of course we have to keep using plastic then. But if you push that concept even further, the reality is that as we use plastic, we're living further out of our natural boundaries Take, for example, the fact that we can breathe underwater to go actually measure how much plastic is in the Mariana Trench, or that we can gear up in Gore-Tex and go to the top of the Great Pyrenees to see, to measure how much plastic, or we can communicate with people outside of our atmosphere, you know, joint replacement. All of that are their capabilities that we've um, developed as the human race because of it's, I don't know what the opposite of kryptonite is, but oil is essentially <laughs> like this incredible material. And then we make plastic with it, which allows us to live outside of natural boundaries.
0: And another stat you shared in your testimony was that plastic vacuum packaging can extend the shelf life of food like beef in stores from four days up to a month. So this packaging helps reduce our food waste. And when we consider how much energy went into growing, processing and transporting food like beef, it's crucial that we don't waste it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that I think as you keep pulling back these, um, some of the explanation that rationalizes the consumption patterns, unless we expect these ways of living without consequence so you know, I think you know one of the latest reports that came out is that we're extracting four times the rate of what the carrying capacity is of, of planet Earth you know it's like by July we've already extracted more than can be replenished and so what's lacking what I try to convey during the Senate hearing is that we lack that that North Star policy that keeps us very focused
0: so Why why is there a problem with, you know, plastics getting lost out of the waste and recycling stream? You know, with all of these plastics going into the ocean and, you know, in our environment, why why is that happening? Um, You know, you you discussed in the testimony before the Senate, you know, there's this huge financial burden on our local governments. It's not all on them. And everything we read about um, solutions for plastic waste is there's no one silver bullet and... We need upstream and downstream solutions. Why why is it such a problem? Why are we not being able to capture all the plastics that we produce in the circular economy or at the very minimum in our landfills?
1: Right now it's not in our zeitgeist to put value on the things that keep us alive. We put value on things like a, a tree that's down. Once we cut a tree, we put value on it, or a whale that's dead, we put value on it. But there are economists that are beginning to put value on what what is the, the value of a thriving rainforest? What are And if we live in a capitalist society, then you have to attribute value to the things that are essential in the whole economic equation. And so whether it's, we've made it um, artificially inexpensive to dispose of something, because we're externalizing all the environmental costs, on so that's on one side of the equation, or whether you're looking upstream, and have we paid the true price for the use of oil, gas, and then that material that's made from oil and gas?
0: So, with that being the problem, what are some alternatives? What are some solutions that we can look towards, um, you know, leading on the federal government, you know, on, on companies, on state governments to address this plastic paradox problem? Um, and you mentioned a couple. Um some some great ones in your in your testimony. I was hoping that you could just kind of explain, you know, a few of the, the ones that you think would be involved in that North Star resource management plan.
1: Yeah, in the EPA when it was established the sustain sustainable materials management, that created the hierarchy that we need. You know, it's really about reducing, and then you have to navigate the trade-offs across all the different choices that you make. And unfortunately, I don't think we've brought to light some of the the sheer power behind EPA Office of Research and Development, the scientists and the technology that could exist to help us make better decisions. If we continue to put that that flag in the ground around what our North Star is, then we, from a federal government perspective, and, and it really needs to be done within an international government body, is what are the measurements and the the standards and methodology for tracking both the, the, the impact, the cost, and um, that enable us to make decisions about, should we be citing a landfill versus other technology of rec- for recovery of material? Are we giving enough feedback to governments, its institutions and the individual of, is this choice that we're making something that aligns to that overarching sustainable materials management goal? And I think because we don't have the transparency or the feedback to, to inform that next decision, we're simply doing what kind of feels good or what serves our pocket you know our pocketbook in that moment um but in the meantime there are very specific things we can take and i subscribe to that kind of practical approach of like working within the levers we have in the short term the most powerful thing we can do is require recycled content because right. we already know that when we get to um if you displace virgin material with recycled when it comes to plastic you can reduce the energy impact by up to ninety percent so that's a very natural thing that we could be doing immediately again there are going to be trade-offs with that but we can set some basic parameters for s- specific applications um, part and parcel to that is a bottle deposit system because you need the supply and I think right now we're moving into new territory where while there is the technology to potentially take material and get it back to the original monomer, so it's called chemical recycling. Um, the issue, if you don't have a demand problem, then you usually have a supply problem, and that's what we're starting to get into now. Is as the material recovery facilities across the country, our collect- curbside collection programs, our retail collection programs for film, they're all kind of starting to fall off. You know, there's fewer programs that are um, that are functioning well enough to get the material back. So. Even if we have this technology that could potentially absorb this material and that's still very theoretical, we don't have, we haven't built the reverse logistics, the supply channels to get the material back into the system. And given the fact that our country, you know, is home to, you know, Amazon and and has some of the best logistics in the world that you can literally think about something and order it and get it that day, but we can't figure out how to get it back into the system. That's just, a, that is a pure logistics and technology problem that we could overcome if we valorized resources that keep us alive.
0: Sure. And, you know, one thing we hear is a good way to capture, you know, you know, recyclable or what we call wasted materials is putting a value on them. So putting a value on the, the intrinsic carbon that is used to create any piece of plastic and uh, I think that is a great short-term measure Um, and and in your testimony you mentioned uh, trash bags I think kind of this this low value commodity that we could use recycled content is that something that they're doing elsewhere in the world in Europe?
1: Yeah and there's um, some um, trash bag manufacturers today in the United States that have up to 97 percent recycled content so it can be done and there's trade-offs so you you know you can get the thinnest possible bag um, with a nice drawstring that consumers like with no recycled content but you can still get a really thin bag um, with high levels of recycled content it is common in europe um, but it also exists here so i I think and that's a a very large i mean it's more than six billion pound market and it's destined for the landfill it's a very low.
0: low-hanging fruit is that something in europe um that they've accomplished through like federal policy is that um just something that uh industry has taken on is it, using that recycled content and in, in things like trash bags would how would we get that here um prevalent in america
1: it's probably going to be state by state until okay. we can hit that federal level and that's going to depend on the next administration but um we have that legislation currently in California. Um, with the attempt of trying to balance the lightweighting or you know, again, reducing um, the overall impact of a product, there have been loopholes that you can um, be exempt if you lightweight your package, both for the rigid plastic packaging law in California as well as the recycled content for trash bags. And up until recently, there was also similar legislation for carryout bags. Um, and it was set at a pretty, a reasonable rate, but that was like 20 years ago for California. We surely have made some progress since then. Um, so I think we will start seeing states I think require recycled content in things like carryout bags. The other area I would look to are mailers, like the Amazon mailers as mm-hmm. well. Um, that's an easy. Um, package. And I, I wouldn't say easy, but it should be able to get recycled content. But it's kind of a, what sort of marketing do we put um, before the, the consumer? And I'd prefer to call people citizens than just consumers. But, um, you know, right now there's the marketing and having something clear and shiny and flashy is um, there's more value placed on that than showing that a product actually may have a lower environmental impact because of its increased recycled content. I think there's some education that needs to happen to make that more palatable within the within the consumer audience.
0: You know, you say in your written testimony, leaders in petrochemical companies see policies as a means to create competitive advantage to those companies that lean all the way in to the circular economy. Basically saying these companies that want to take the step towards higher recycled content in their packaging really need some sort of policy approach to be able to, you know, justify um, spending a little extra money to outdo their competition when it comes to using recycled content. Without policy, it's going to be very difficult for our industry leaders to make the first step. um,
1: Because we say we don't have policy, but we do. The policy is to subsidize the extraction of fossil fuels. So we have to counterbalance that. We need to level the playing field. And so for those companies that want to pivot, if they've made the investments and can reap the competitive advantage because once they've pivoted, they're going to be in the leadership position.
0: Absolutely. And putting a, a value on the carbon. So just after we we use the plastic that you know we consume in the stores, seems like the best way to ensure that it, it winds up in either the recycling stream or at the very least the waste stream where it doesn't contaminate um, our waterways and environment. So um, I wanna say thank you for your time today. And if you have any final thoughts about Plastic Paradox, we're all ears.
1: The reason that we're in the state that we're in environmentally, and, and really we're seeing it throughout all facets of society, we're living out of balance, whether it's it's an equity issue across the board. when When we're able to pollute At the levels that we're polluting right now or extract extract more than we should be able to from um really sensitive ecosystems it's because we're okay with things not being equitable it's taking more than is is fair for us to take and i was thinking about this in terms of it's again what you can't see it's easier to kind of accept or tolerate You know, that if I'm able to consume this steak, but it's affecting someone's ability to thrive in another region and I don't know them, but what if that person I don't know is my kid's grandchildren? That's what we're essentially stealing from is future generations. So it's not to use a plastic bottle or a glass bottle. It's more about our consumption patterns. How far are we expecting to get something? How far does it have to travel? How much do I need to consume to sustain my own life? And then it's shifting um, as a society, do we measure our success based on the accumulation of wealth or is there something else that we should be focused on measuring?
0: Well put, thank you so much.
1: You're welcome.
0: I want to wrap up with a thank you to the CRA's diamond sponsors, Pratt and Sunoco Recycling. Thank you to Thomas Mahar for the music. I'm Matt James, and thanks for listening.